this building, so until then I'm doing the, this thing. <coughs> so if I juggle it and drop it, it's not ordinary, but it's not unexpected either, all right? Hey, we are so glad again to have our guest tonight. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, very exciting what happened tonight. And I thought it would be very cool to share with you kind of what did happen in these folks' lives, whether it be the very youngest, like we saw, who made, recently made a decision for Christ, or someone like Bruce, who's been a Christian for a while, who made that recommitment. Each one of these, at a point in their life, um, experienced God's amazing grace in their lives. And that's, that's a good story. Um, you know, in America today, there's a tendency for people to communicate. Well, first off, we'll hear this. You know, anybody, well, we go to Africa first. Let me say this way. We go to Africa, and their perception is everybody in the West is a Christian. And that's a real problem because they see all the decadence of, of the West and, and the impurities and all that, and it really undermines the name of Jesus Christ in that part of the world. But then we also see this in America. We see it in America, we see people um, who assume because they're Americans that they're a Christian. Of course I'm a Christian. Uh, we see this down south all the time. You know, Bubba may beat his wife on Friday night, get drunker than a skunk on Saturday night, and go to church, and somehow it all fits in his master plan. And so we think that, well, of course I'm an American, so I'm a Christian. I'm, America's a Christian nation, so that makes me a Christian. And then there are people who go to church regularly, and then would assume that because I go to church, um, that makes me a Christian. So I thought it would be really good tonight to determine what makes a Christian a Christian. What makes a follower of Christ a follower of Christ? Now, I advertised when I did the Baptist Hour, um, whatever day that was, on the first. I guess it was Tuesday. And I said, if you're going to be there Sunday night, you might want to turn your radio off because I like to use this on Sunday night. So if you heard it on the Baptist Hour, you didn't turn your radio off in time, okay? But I, but I didn't do it because it was easy. I just thought it was so appropriate to use on this night. Now, it all begins with the concept of truth. You know, it used to be the, the thought of absolute truth was just something people accepted. But as culture has gone on and on and on, the concept of absolute truth has largely disappeared. Truth becomes whatever we want truth to be in our culture today. And that's not uncommon, nor is it new. You know, when Jesus was standing before Pilate, and he was the governor back in those days. He's the guy who's fixing to condemn Jesus to death, even though he found no fault in him. It's a real paradox. But he's talking with Jesus about, are you a king? And Jesus said, I am. I'm a king, but not this world. And he talks about the fact that, that his followers are people of the truth. And Pilate goes this. He goes, well, what is truth? Because, see, in the days of Pilate and those era, those times, the king determined what was truth. If the king spoke it, for the people it became true. So Pilate asked a question that was very relevant for his time, and I think very relevant for our time, too, because people go, well, really, what is truth? Well, we start tonight, and we're going to different scriptures, most of them found in Luke, or excuse me, in Romans and John, about truth and about freedom. Uh, a verse you hear, especially around the 4th of July, is one we're going to look at tonight. And it goes like this. In John 8, 30 through 32, um, the, the Bible says, Jesus said, as he spoke these words... Many believed in him. He was talking about the fact that he was the Messiah and he was the king. And many people believed in him. And then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. So, so Jesus is basically doing a preaching thing. Okay, He's speaking to the people. And people start a level of believing. And the reason I say a level of believing is because later on in the same passage of Scripture, Jesus goes, You're trying to kill me. And I even asked David. I went to ask, Now, what do you think about this? One minute, the Bible says these people believed in Jesus, and the next few minutes, Jesus is going, you're trying to kill me. And it just proves a very good point. There are different levels of belief. In fact, in James chapter 2 and verse 19, the Bible says that even the devils believe and tremble. 
So, so the devils believe there's a God. And again, most of you tonight would go, well, I believe there's a God. And so that would mean I'm a Christian. And you'd be so wrong about that because there's a deeper level of belief. Probably the best way to illustrate it is something I use all the time. And that's with a chair. That just fell apart. Now, if you sit in this chair, that would be not believing in Jesus the right way. Okay? All right. Okay. There you go. How's that for covering? How's that for covering? Now, faith is me putting this cushion back on this chair and still sitting on it. Okay, I think it's going to work. I think. Y'all, y'all pray. Okay? So, this does not work at all now. Because I was fixing to say that my intellect tells me that this chair will hold me up because it's a chair. My intellect is not telling me that. My intellect is telling me, if you sit in that chair, you're a fool. So, we're going to pull that chair aside. Okay, just go aside. There you go. All right. Now my intellect tells me that is a chair, and I believe that this chair will hold me up because that's what chairs are designed to do. I believe in the chair. I say I believe in the chair. I think the chair will hold me up. Now watch this. Now I'm fixing to believe a whole different level in this chair. When I sit down and put my... When I put my weight in the chair, I now believe in this chair in a very deep level. I put my faith and trust in this chair. These Jews had this level of, of belief, where Jesus wanted them to go to a deeper level of truly believing that He was the Messiah and believing He is and was the Son of God. So, so these, these guys believed in Him, but Jesus gave us a, he gave us a birthmark. birthmark. He gave us a tat. If you're, you know, you got tats, there's a tat on your skin that marks you, okay? Well, Jesus gives us a mark of what it means to be a follower of His. Here's what He says. He says to the ones who believe Him, If you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed. Now, we got to be real careful here because somebody go, That's exactly what I thought. See, what, it, you know, what this Christian thing is all about is that you work and work and work and work, and if you work enough... Okay, by keeping the rules, then somehow God says, you're in? That's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's saying a evidence that you are a follower of Christ is that you abide in His Word. That you follow His teachings. Not to be saved, not to have your sins forgiven, but because you are saved or because your sins are forgiven. He goes on and says this. And this is the verse most of you know. And you shall know the truth... And the truth will set you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And you know what? That's exactly right. Truth sets people free. So now I want to go back to Mr. Pilate's question when he said, what is truth? Well, Mr. Pilate, I would tell you this. The truth about truth is this. Truth is more than a principle. It is a person. One day when Jesus was talking, oh, he's probably like nine days away from dying on the cross. Uh, The whole purpose of him coming... He says these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Heaven and forgiveness is not obtained by being good. Heaven is not obtained by a giant scale balancing things out. Heaven is not by some way you can gain God's favor through self-works. No, Jesus said it right. God didn't give you a Baptist, a Methodist, a Pentecostal, or a Catholic. God doesn't care, you know, in the sense of your salvation, how often you attend church. God doesn't care how much you give in the sense of gain your salvation. There's nothing we can do to gain salvation. But Jesus says, I am the way. I am the path. And what I speak is truth, that you can count on it, 
and I am the life. I want to give you a new life. So the truth about truth is not just a principle. It's a person, and his name was Jesus Christ. Guys, I want to tell you, especially our guests tonight, and I hope every pastor you listen to will tell you this. Heaven is not about church and rule-keeping. Heaven is about God's grace. And that is just huge. It's huge. Especially for guys like me and probably some of you guys that have a real hard time keeping the rules anyway. If heaven's about keeping the rules, I, well, no one would make it, but I especially wouldn't make it. But it's about God's grace, His love, and forgiveness for me. And then I'd say, Mr. Pilate, here's the truth about sin. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says this. Therefore, just as through one man, and that one man was Adam... Sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all of sin. So the truth is, you know, some of y'all got, do y'all get any characteristics from your mom and dad? Like, you see this? Well, actually, the absence of this. Some of y'all feel right there, and you don't feel skin. I feel there, and I've got a few, my hair, my wavy hairs on the front, they wave at each other. Okay? I've got just a few hairs there. That is not my daddy. The, the U-shaped hairline's my daddy. The rest belongs to my uncle. Okay? Some of you have got attributes that you gain from your mom and your dad. You say, well, I've got my dad's nose. i got my mom's calves, you know. Different things. You inherited things. Well, you inherited something from the very first man, Adam. When he chose to disobey God, sin came into the world. Adam was perfect and the world was perfect. And when Adam sinned, choose, chose to sin, sin came into the world. It's been passed on and passed on and passed on. And that's what the Bible says in Romans 12, what it means as sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all has sinned. Well, what degree, Dwayne? I mean, to what degree we sin? Well, here's the truth about us. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says this. As it is written, and I probably ought to pause there and let you know when it says as it is written, we're, we're quoting the Bible, a book that's been around for about 4,000 years, a, a book that's proven itself through time and eternity. And so it's a book that we count on. So it says this, as is written, there is none righteous. So how many are righteous? None. 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 Your neighbor who holds his nose up and says, I'm holy because I go to church. He's not holy or righteous. Any righteousness he got has to come through Jesus Christ. There is none righteous, no, not one. Um, It goes, there's none who understands. It's not our bent to understand even how God works. Um, There's none who seeks after God. You know, it's like... You know, it's like we hear it said that men are seeking after God. We don't seek after God in our natural state. In fact, God seeks after us. Someone once called him the hound of heaven, the holy hound of heaven. And is that right? Just like a coon dog seeks after a coon. God seeks those who are lost because he loves us so much. They have all turned aside, the Bible says. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. And you say, now wait a minute. You, you don't know my grandma." My grandmama would give her last piece of bread to a beggar on the street. Tell my mama didn't do good. Your grandmama didn't do good. It's not what Paul is saying. He's talking about being good enough for heaven. And the Bible clearly says that no one is good enough to make heaven. Because you know what the standard is? Perfection. In order to make it to heaven, each one of us would have to be perfect. And guess what? I talk to your wife, you're not. <laughs> we had a little meeting back in the office before church, and sir, he, he said, he thinks he's perfect, but he's not. So, so no one is perfect. So, so what a dilemma. Here we are, and we're a bunch of imperfect people. We don't even seek, we don't have a common sense spiritually seek after God. What is to do? 
Well, it gets worse before it gets better. Because here's the truth about how. You know, how do you go to heaven? The wages, Paul writes, the wages of sin is death. Now, what are wages? Wages are what you earn. It's your paycheck. Okay? So, so when you go to the job, you put in your 40 hours, and they hopefully give you a check at the end of the week, you know, for whatever you earn. So God's Word says that in our natural state, the way we're born with our sin nature from Adam, the fact that we're unprofitable, there's no one that does good, our, what we've earned is hell. I'm not, that's an old-fashioned word. And you go, ugh, I don't like that. What's well, eternal separation from God? You know, there's a place where we, those who reject Christ, are separated from God. And so the wages of sin is that eternal separation. And that's the bad part. But it's also the truth. Here's the deal. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this is incredible. Because I know, I know the teaching out there. I, you know, I've, been, I've been around a long time, been around 60 years. And I know how that figures out. That there's a giant scale and that we earn our salvation. But, but Paul says, no, no, no. The Word of God says, no. God says, I've got a gift for you. Yeah, I like gifts. A lady showed up my hand. Now, this is really cool. We're sitting there on the, on the Pergama Pagoda. On the Pagoda. Well, actually, we're sitting not on the Pagoda. We're under the Pagoda. And we're sitting there, you know, and the stars are starting to shine. And, you know, it's getting dusky. And a car pulls up in our alley. And this little squeaky voice goes, you aren't supposed to be home. And I'm like, what? She had a gift for us. And she got out of the car and place this beautiful hydrangea. Now, I would have preferred a pecan pie. But regardless, a hydrangea is very nice. And she, now I, and I, so I said, oh, oh wait, wait, let me go inside and get my wallet. I need to pay you for that. Did I do that? Well, no. First, I'm too tight. But no, I didn't do that. You know why? She said, I have a gift for you. I want to give you something free of charge. You didn't earn it. I didn't get to it you're a nice person. I just have a gift for you. And God says, I have a gift for you. And that gift for you is eternal life. Now listen, this is what Jesus says about eternal life. This is John 17, 3. This is eternal life. That they, us, may know you, the one true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. The gift of God is that you can call God Father. The gift of God is, is that you can come to a personal relationship with the God who created all of this. That is really incredible. I mean, I don't have a relationship with anybody of any importance. Certainly not the governor or the president or a senator or anybody else. But may I tell you something? I have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. Not because I'm important, but because He loved me and because He forgave me. Of my sins. So God says, I have this wonderful gift for you, eternal life, and it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, so how's that actually? Give me the step by step. How does that happen? Well, here's what Paul wrote again. If you will confess, if you'll make a statement with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, you will be forgiven. To me, that's just incredible. So, so with our mouth and with our life and our life, we make a statement that says, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Christ. But it doesn't stop there. We believe it in our hearts. It becomes a part of us that Jesus Christ is the Christ. And I love this, that Jesus rose from the dead. You want want to know one of the main reasons Jesus rose from the dead? Have you ever wondered about why we have Easter? Why that's so important? That's so important because it proved that Jesus said 
he is who he is and who he was who he was. If Jesus said, I'm the Son of God, he died and stayed dead, a lot of people got crucified on crosses. You know how many guys predicted their own death, did it, and then pulled off their own resurrection? That would be one. Confucius don't claim that. Mohammed don't claim that. No other religious leader says, here's how I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be resurrected and pulls it off. Jesus Christ proved who he was by resurrecting from the cross, from the, from the grave and dying on the cross. It's just simply incredible. And Paul goes on and says this, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confessions made in salvation. I know that's kind of like church talk to you, but here's the cool part. Remember I told you no one's righteous? This is so cool. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, and that's a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. I love this verse. It goes this. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might be the righteous of God. How many of you ever traded? You know one of the worst trades I ever made? I was at the bus stop. And the guy says, I will trade you ten football cards for your quarter for lunch. It sounded like a great trade until lunchtime. And Terry, you know what? I found out no one won my football cards. They didn't taste very good. You, have you had trades like that before? Well, here's what Jesus does. He says, Dwayne, I will take your sin and I'll give you my righteousness. We go to heaven by believing in Jesus Christ. That's what it says there. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. It's not works. It's not going to church. It's not being a Baptist. It's believing in what Jesus Christ did. And then it goes on and says, verse 11, For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame, that God will not reject them. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad in God's kingdom, you know, He doesn't say, okay, you're white, so, so you're better, or you're not good, and you're brown, and you're yellow, and you're rich, and you're poor. Did you know the ground's level at the cross? That God doesn't care about your economic status. He doesn't care what skin color you are. He don't speak how well or how, un, how unwell, unwell you speak. See, I just demonstrated it for you. See there? It's incredible. It's powerful. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's what happened. That's what happened. There's a time when the little Lakin, I was there when she prayed to receive Christ. The little deacon prayed to receive life. Kayla prayed to receive Christ. Whitney prayed to receive Christ. Destiny prayed to receive Christ. Bruce prayed to receive Christ. They called upon the name of the Lord, and they were saved. They were forgiven. Now, isn't that just incredible? Isn't that cool? Really, listen, it really is huge. It really is. It really is. And so cool because we're so imperfect, and he's so perfect, But because He loves us, He made a way that we could be forgiven. That's just incredible. Now again, live six decades. Life has been really good to me. I've had a great life. And hopefully God will give me a few more years around. But there's one more verse I'm going to share with you from that same John chapter 8 where Jesus says, And you shall know the truth, and truth shall set you free. This verse says this. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, 
You shall be free indeed. Have y'all heard this before? You, you don't want to be a Christian. All it's about is bondage. They tell you what to do and what not to do. It is not fun. In the words of that great philosopher, liar, liar, paints on, pants on fire. It's not bondage. It's freedom. It's freedom. God wrote this incredible book called His Book. And there are some do's and there are some don'ts. But for every don't, there's a reason. And for every do, there's a reason. I want to tell you this. It was in 1975 that I trusted Christ as Savior. I guess that's like 39 years ago now. I want to tell you something. It's been a great ride. It really has. Uh, he's been faithful and he's been good. He's loved me when I've been not very lovable. And he never rejected me because I failed him. God's good. And that's what these kids and these adults have done. And that's what a lot of folks in this room have done. So here's my invitation tonight. First off, I'm going to be last in line at the food, if you can believe that. I'm going to be last in line at the food. And I'm going to be standing around talking to people and stuff. And you, if, you, if something I said tonight kind of sparked something in you, kind of going, huh, yeah, that makes sense, you know. Come up and say, hey, Dwayne, I'd like to know a little bit more about this Jesus thing. I've never been a church person, never been a religious person. But that Jesus, that's different. I'd like to know more about him. And I'll be glad. We'll sit down. We'll find a table somewhere and get a glass of tea. And, um, and we'll share what the Word of God. I'll try to answer questions. I may not be able to answer them all, but I'll answer the questions that I can. And perhaps who you know, that tonight may be the night that you truly become free. That's my invitation for you tonight. You know, the greatest journey is the journey you start the day you trust Jesus Christ as Savior. It's just incredible. Let me read it again. Therefore, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free. Indeed. So I'm going to ask Dave to come up. And Dave, if you'll lead us in a song. And I tell you, Dave, what we're going to do is, I'm going to let the folks stay seated tonight. And I want you to sing for us, okay, with our head bowed. And I'll be standing down front. If you want to, don't, why wait for the fellowship hall? If you say, Dwayne, I'd, I'd like to ask a question now. This is what this is about. It's time of decision. Come and say, Dwayne, I want to know what happened in their lives, your life, or others' lives. I want to know more about Jesus. And this also, while you're sitting there quietly, is a time maybe I haven't talked to God in a while. Maybe you did make a decision to trust Jesus, but you haven't been very close. Maybe it's a good time tonight to say, hey, God, I'd sure like to come home. And what you're going to find is his arms wide open saying, welcome home. Welcome home. So I'm bow your head right there. Father, thank you so much for the freedom to share uh, this truth tonight. Uh, God, it really is incredible. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And I'm really glad, God, it does not depend on our works. That we don't have to somehow earn your favor because we couldn't. We know we couldn't. But because of your grace, it's free. It's free. Thank you for the testimony tonight of these six. And Father, others of this room have trusted Christ. And God, if there is someone who's never made that important decision to follow Christ, may tonight be the night they do that. And Jesus, I pray it in your precious name. Amen.